You're listening to Craig Walker's Future Of podcast, where we bring together conversations with thought leaders from across the world to unpack what's next in the design of products, services, and experiences. I'm Jeremy Walker, director and co-founder of Craig Walker, a design and research agency with a mission to design the greatest positive impact for the greatest number of people. For our first series, Shanaz Engineer, a senior design researcher at Craig Walker, explores the future of retail banking, talking to leaders from around the world with a range of different perspectives. In this episode, she has a conversation with Tarek Mugani, the founder and group CEO at Affinity Africa, a fully-fledged, digitally-driven bank that provides affordable financial services to the underserved and unbanked. We hear him talk about designing a digital bank in a market driven by face-to-face services and the role that traditional banking can play in communities and inclusion before ending with a provocation about the future and the so what for the future of products, services, and experiences. So my name is Tarek Mugani. I'm Ghanaian, British Ghanaian. Moved back to Ghana about 10 years ago, and uh, my, my biggest passion is supporting small businesses and the founders behind them and the people behind them, and realized that there was a huge gap when it came to supporting SMEs on the continent, and one way to solving that issue is providing uh, growth capital and loans to these small businesses. And that was the start of, uh, of my journey at Affinity, which is a full-fledged retail bank that's digitally driven that provides affordable financial services to small businesses in Ghana and hopefully Africa as, as we expand. But there are a lot of opportunities on the continent. I stopped using the word issues. I look at them as opportunities now. And, um, and one of them is the support of small businesses and why it's important and why my team and I get out of bed every single day is in order to build a resilient economy anywhere in the world, supporting a middle class and supporting small businesses is a very important thing. And that's something that's lacking on, on the African continent. So Tarek, was there a single moment or rather sequence of events that really inspired and led you to establish Affinity Africa? You know, it was completely, uh, completely a coincidence. It was, it was, um, I never, I never thought I, ha- I have a background in physics and engineering. I never thought that I'd actually set, I never thought I'd actually set up a bank, but um, one thing led to another. Um, I'm, I'm quite gregarious. I do like meeting people. I like to, to seek opportunities. And I ended up after finishing and completing my PhD working for an investment fund because I, I knew that I had an interest in, in going back to Africa, going back to, to Ghana in particular. And, and setting up a business that worked both in the financial space, um, preferably in investing, and at the same time, it needed to have some sort of social impact as well. So it needed to be um, development-driven. And all I kept on hearing over and over again from these small businesses that I was supporting was uh, lack of credit, lack of access to credit and finance. And all the pieces sort of started fitting together. And I thought to myself, hey, why don't we just set up a bank and support small small businesses? It seemed really easy in my head. You know, that was eight, yeah. eight years ago. And that sort of started that journey. It sounds like you've had incredible hands-on experience working with small businesses, weaving together finance and social impact to support them. But what does your current role look like now as Group CEO of Affinity Africa? What does your day-to-day involve? In June of this year, we hired a CEO to run the Ghana operations. And I've sort of stepped back from the day-to-day operations of the business now. And I'm part of the group company. And we're thinking through what the next 10 years looks like for Affinity in terms mm-hmm. of expanding across the continent, um, looking at new challenges to take on board that fits our, our mandate as a, as a digital bank, as well as exploring opportunities, including technology and how we can refine our processes and 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 hit our mission and targets even better. So I'm, I'm involved in a lot of that mm-hmm. thought process, thought leadership and strategy. 
And that's sort of what my day-to-day -day is. It's talking to great people like you guys and getting ideas from everyone else around the world. <laughs> Incredible work, Tarek. It's been fascinating to learn more about Affinity Africa's evolution. I might just take a moment to zoom out, hoping that you could provide our listeners with some context around the retail banking landscape in sub-Saharan Africa, or, or Ghana specifically. Absolutely. Um, and so Ghana is one of the better countries, believe it or not. Uh, and the numbers are still quite shocking. So in sub-Saharan Africa, of course, we exclude South Africa in that comparison, less than 40% adults have a bank account. If you compare that to a country like the UK, where it's 98%, and the US, which is slightly lower, I think it's about 93%, 94%, it's really quite shocking. And, and, and why is that important? Why, why do you need to have a bank account? Well, you know, in environments like uh, uh, Ghana, where inflation is high and formalization is, is low, it's really important to have a financial partner that looks after you, that provides basically affordable services, to make sure that your money is safe, it grows with you, and gives you access basically to products that will help you um, develop. So this is it's quite a shocking number. In Ghana, it's about 42% of adults have bank accounts, but in Francophone, uh, uh, West Africa, it's only 25%, you know, countries like Cote d'Ivoire and Senegal. It really is quite shocking. Um, and then on top of that, um, um, access to credit is very, very low. It's only 8%, which is really, really, really shocking. So the World Bank estimates that the lending gap for, for small and medium enterprises in Sub-Saharan Africa is $330 billion. It's a massive opportunity. Mm. So that's sort of like the current status of, 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 and these numbers, by the way, have been around for well over a decade. Um, and certainly as long as I've started this journey um, and looking at them and nothing's kind of moved the dial so much and nothing's kind of changed. Um, I don't know if it would help if I touched on why we kind of got into the situation in the past. Yeah, that would be really great. And if you could explain the major barriers to financial inclusion in Ghana. First is um, that it's a cash economy. So given the situation that we're in and all the stats I've sort of explained, 90% of cash transactions, or 90% transactions on the continent are cash-based, um, simply because of how, uh, by default, and the nature of the beast. So that's the first thing. You need to respect that. And cash is expensive, by the way. For, for the amount of cash a bank handles, it costs about 10% of that amount. So for every $100 that you manage, it costs about $10 a year to manage that cash. It's really quite expensive. Um, the second hurdle is the informal economy. So um, if you look at uh, an individual that may not be registered, they may not, they might have a formal form of ID, but they're not registered for tax purposes, um, or they don't have an address, a formal address, they really struggle to go through the sort of traditional KYC methodologies that a bank would require them to to do because banks are sort mm -hmm. of a cut and paste uh, framework from the West onto the continent, mm -hmm. right? You know, this is what banking works in Europe. As a result, this is what banking should look like uh, in Africa. So of, of course, the barriers and the hurdles to customers like that are so high and astronomical, especially um, not just not just from a, um, um, uh, an administrative point of view, but also for the fact that these, these micro enterprises, these unregistered businesses work very long hours. You know, they work from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. And, and they can't afford to actually go to a bank and wait for weeks and, and hours queuing, basically, to transact and open mm -hmm. accounts. The third issue is regulation. Um, it's not just about acquiring a license. It's also about the burdens that come with being regulated. So, you know, governance structures. Um, it often contradicts the agility that a startup um, needs to look at in order to actually build um, um, a bank that's, that's um, innovative. Because, you know, if you're if you're well regulated and you're setting up a bank, you're likely to hire people that have risk experience. And of course, you're attracting talent from a pool of existing banks 
who have a certain way in which they look at risk when it comes to lending. And when you want to try and invent something like that, it's quite difficult as well, too. So how do you strike that balance between innovation and, and regulation as well, too? Because it does, it does stifle, uh, regulation does stifle innovation. And then the fourth barrier in, in, in order to, to create a, a solution like Eventi is the fact that this is an ecosystem play. And um, the infrastructure is pretty poor and the tech ecosystem is very young as well, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say something quite controversial. I think the method of, of democratization that Africa took was one that was a very Western-based approach. And, um, you know, uh, our countries are, from since independence, I mean, Ghana was the first country to gain independence over 60 years ago, but it's still, you know, a relatively, quote-unquote, new country. And we adopted a Western form of democratization that looked at frameworks based in the West when it came to taxation, when it came to, to setting up frameworks that helped um, individuals and small businesses as well to get their way out of where they were to where the West thought that we should be. So, so what that has meant is that it created um, unnecessary hurdles, a huge amount of administration and issues in, in a continent where um, infrastructure wasn't great. So looking at you know, roads, access to electricity, energy, um, data more recently as well, too. It almost sort of forced um, a Western approach to, to formalization democracy onto a continent that not only wasn't ready, but maybe needed a, a new way of thinking through what that should look like. Um, and a, as a result, what, what has happened is it's created um, a huge hurdle to small businesses to formalize. So in Ghana, our Ministry of Finance quoted a few years ago that about 78% of businesses are unregistered, which is obviously a whopping amount, and less than 10% of our citizens actually pay a direct tax, personal tax. So that was that was automatically a huge hurdle and a huge issue that was faced. And these issues have created problems when it comes to a, a, an institution, a financial institution like ourselves, to actually be efficient and bank these 78% of businesses and back these, you know, 90% of individuals that that uh, that that are unbanked and don't have formal uh, IDs and don't have um, formal registrations as well, too. So how is Affinity Africa circumnavigating these barriers, really impeding change? What are some of the ways you're overcoming this? For instance, how do you provide loans to people when they don't have, say, traditional identification or even credit score histories? That's, that's a really good question. And it is, I guess, first and foremost, um, making sure you have the right team in place. On the right stakeholders so it's not just about you know my team members who do the do, do day-to-day -day operations with me but also the right board that understands what you're doing the right investors that understand what you're doing and then after that i think it's a it's a big dose of patience frankly because mm -hmm. it's 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 a tried and tested method you have to try and test it's a trial and error methodology let me give you a very simple example um if i were here in europe and um i decided to basically set up a digital bank there are a lot of existing players in the ecosystem that we could work with. So people that can do optical character recognition, that could do um, identity checks. Um, these are established fintechs that have a track record, that have pretty prestigious customers. So operational due diligence is quite minimal from our front, but unfortunately they don't operate on the continent first and foremost. And secondly, they don't understand our customer demographic. 
So in situations like this, we end up becoming the ecosystem builder because if we can't find a partner on the continent, we have to end up building it ourselves and being, being our own service provider. So it takes a lot of patience and understanding. The second, the second point I wanted to make is really trying to understand our customers because mm. it's very easy to create a digital bank that exists in, in Europe and replicate that on the continent. But of course, you'll be attracting the 12% of the population. What Affinity is going after is the majority of the population. It's the mass market. It's sort of the middle of the pyramid, if you want to call it that. And in order for that to happen, you really have to understand how our customers behave. You know, it really has to be customer-centered. And, and how do they behave when it comes to technology? And how do they behave when it comes to financial services? And you have to design for that. So to your point, now kind of extrapolating and taking those two examples, to your point on the lending side, we gave out $9 million worth of loans, $6 million over COVID. The way that happened was a bunch of us sat around the table. We made some decisions. We gave out the loans and, you know, we saw what happened. We saw whether or not the money came back to us. And by the way, our loss rate was about 5%. So it was really not that bad, wow. especially over COVID, right? So good. But we thought to ourselves, you know, the, the, the lower the loss rate, the cheaper the product is to a customer, right? Because, you know, loss is a cost at the end of the day for a financial institution. Mm-hmm. And we, we then started refining basically our methodology. We took all that experience over a three-year period of lending almost $9 million. And we, we, we then had to stop lending. And we had to redefine our entire credit processes with the customer in mind. So we're talking about individuals, registered uh, informal and informally employed individuals, and SMEs, including micro-enterprises that are unregistered. And we set a series of rules. So first and foremost, we said, you know, we need to know who our customer is. Secondly, we needed to make sure as well, too, that the customer had a history with us as well, because, you know, there are no credit checks. There are no credit histories. A lot of these customers, almost 90% of our customers didn't have a bank account until we came along. So there is no prior history of banking as well that you're picking through. So you build a relationship with them, whether it's through one of our agents who has a physical relationship with them or whether it's through your transactions that come through our tech platform. And then what, what ends up happening is you end up extending a line of credit. So if you think that they can afford X, you give them half of X to begin with. And once they pay back that loan, you start growing basically with them and they grow in tandem with you. Yeah, that's really interesting, Tarek. I'm just curious about the hack for knowing customers that you mentioned. How does Affinity Africa build trust with its customers, especially when the company is focused on building digital infrastructure? Absolutely. So let me, let me, there's a lot of SME lending that happens on the continent, by the way, you know, there's some pretty incredible companies and and fintechs that do SME lending. So it's, it's definitely a space that's, that's a focus, but there's a very specific problem that, that Affinity is, is, is solving for. The product that we've developed at Affinity is being able to provide a long-term loan to our small businesses mm-hmm. in order for them to grow. Mm-hmm. So if I'm um, uh, one of my customers, let's say, is a woman that sells uh, food on the side of the road, she may want to expand. You know, she might produce basically, I don't know, um, bread. So she might want to go from hand kneading the bread to buy, buying a machine that will help her increase her output. Mm. If you were to actually make that purchase for the machine, it's quite an expensive purchase for her. You know, she's probably, she, she's probably looking at borrowing a, a maximum of $100 a month. If she wants to borrow $1,000 a month and industrialize her process, the affordability of that loan needs to be such that it's a long-term loan so that it matches the revenue that she'll then generate from that, from that acquisition, if that makes sense. Mm. Because she cannot service that debt unless it's a lower interest rate and she starts generating revenue off the bat. Because if she goes from generating, I don't know, 
uh, uh, selling 10 loaves of bread a day to 1,000 loaves of bread a day, there needs to be a ramp up of her growth. And there needs to be a match between that product and her cash flow that's being generated as well, too. So what we're trying to solve for is how do we provide cheaper long-term loans to these customers so they can grow, they can employ, and they can build these resilient economy economies that Affinity is very focused on. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem we're trying to solve for. The products that exist in the market don't solve for that problem because of the risk frameworks that are in place. And let me give you an example from the history that we've learned. When you're lending to SM, an SME, an SME that doesn't have basically a registered business, uh, address an SME that doesn't have registered uh, um, founders behind them. If they abscond on their loan and you go and find them, it's actually quite difficult. Yeah. So in order for you to actually decide and de-risk lending, you need to know that customer. You know, it's typical KYC. You know, do they exist? Yeah. Um, is this really their, their place of work? Is this really what they do? You know, does she sell bread? Because if she's applying for a loan and she's saying that she's going to go buy a car to sell bread, you think to yourself, does she really need a car to sell bread? You know, all those sort of elements are pretty hard to digitize. You need to have a personal relationship with that customer as well, too. So that's the the, the first issue. Um, the second issue is that, you know, the only way you can solve that by, by properly digitizing, fully digitizing a loan is by mitigating the risk by giving short-term loans. So I'll give you an example. You can lend to her, giving her a $100 loan, um, but you can't say that it's over a 12-month period because she will take undue risk. So you have to say, in order for you to de-risk it, it's one loan installment. So she pays it back in seven days, in 14 days, 21 days, at most 30 days. So there are a lot of digital lenders that do that. For that to happen, you're churning through your loan portfolio. You're de-risking because it's only one loan installment. And as a result, the interest rates are quite high as well, too. So you're giving an interest rate of, at the lowest point in Ghana at the moment, it's maybe 6% a month, up to 16% a month. So that individual that's borrowing cannot actually go and buy that machinery for, for herself because she can't afford those interest rates over a long period of time. So, so technological uh, lenders have used um, um, th- that hack in terms of reducing short durations to mitigate risk. Um, so there's no you know, repayment fatigue and absconding because, you know, they could just pack up and leave and you, they could never be located again. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, they've used higher interest rates as well, too, as a way of mitigating default rates because default rates are much higher as well, too, with digital lenders. What we've done to solve our problem at Affinity is actually getting to know our customer. We can't do that with bricks and mortar. We are a digital bank. So what we've ended up doing is using an agency platform to do that. So we have agents in the market. And what they do is they go and service customers. So they open an account for the customer. They, they usually transact with the customer for at least three months. And then on top of that, what they end up doing is extending a small line of credit, and then it grows over time. So we give a three-month loan. If we think they can afford 100, we'll give them 75, let's say. Um, once they pay back after three months, we'll then extend to you know, 100. Um, well, we can do it over six months. And then over time, they can grow with us. And some of our customers have gone from borrowing about $150 and they're borrowing about $5,000 now with us over the period of two years. And that's how you do it. You have to be patient mm-hmm. and you have to be, you have to grow and you have to get to know your customer. So because we have ports of calls where our agents, we do our sales network through them. They're very low cost. They're about 5% the operating costs of a traditional bank. Mm-hmm. And it's really a way of mitigating risk and reducing our default rates as well too, and providing long-term funding, which from a unit economics point of view, it actually helps in the long term for us as a bank. I imagine you've got such varying digital and financial literacy levels among your customers. Does this shape design considerations? For instance, how do you bring people on the journey and educate them simultaneously? 
Absolutely. Um, I think I think it's two pronged. So first and foremost, you need to encourage them to open an account and start saving with you. And that's how you sort of build the history before you can provide a loan to them. For that to happen, we did a lot of design work around our customers, trying to understand two things, how they deal with technology and how they deal with financial services. And we collected over 400 data points and, and, and feedbacks basically from our customers. And it boiled down to two themes, trust was very important. Do they trust you as a financial institution? And secondly, convenience. And so what we ended up doing is designing our processes through through those two themes. And it could be something as very basic as how we name our products. And then secondly, um, it's about the features of the product as well too. So instead of of asking 10 questions to open an account, can you ask two questions because these Mm -hmm. people are time constrained? Instead of basically uh, uh, charging them an arm and a leg for monthly fees, you know, can we bring them on board as a, because of the features of the product are more affordable? Because a lot of these guys are very price sensitive as well, too. I'll give you one very concrete example. So what we realized with a lot of these uh, um, customers is they were using agency banking and they were using something called passbooks. So they were using passbooks as they transacted with agents. Um, and these were third-party agents they were transacting with because a lot of the platforms that they were interacting with on the technology for those sort of platforms were, were, were a bit old tech. And as a result, a lot of the text messages that were coming through that would confirm transactions being placed would sometimes, it would, it would take a day for the text to come through. It wasn't instant enough. And then secondly, they might never come through. And as a result, they might, might, they might send the transaction twice uh, and then the transaction gets sent twice because they then get a notification um, uh, uh, for the second transaction instantly. But the first transaction comes through a day later as well. So then they spend a lot of time, they spend hours basically querying with the service provider in order to get a refund um, uh, for, their, for their account too, which is obviously a pain process. So even with something as basic as that, you know, they needed that physical touch book, that touch point, you know, they needed the passbook so they could, they could write it down. They could encourage the agent as well too, to put their name and number and, and, and sign it. So they had a query in case they ever had their money come out so they could go to the service provider and make a query on the back of that. Mm. So we re-engineered that entire process and we built a platform that was, that had a really strong response rate. We also built a platform basically when it comes to transactions that was about 20% shorter in terms of, of commands to actually get to the transaction that you want to do as a way of building trust and pulling people away from that product. And what we ended up doing when we launched our product as well too, is we respected the passbook. We actually printed our own, even though they're not very environmentally friendly, but we charged the customer for it as a way of dissuading them. And what we're finding now over time is that they're moving away from using the passbook and trusting our, our product because when they do do a transaction, it's pretty instant. You know, They have to send a one-time password to our agent, uh, they get a transaction instantly. So because there's that back and forth with the OTP, et cetera, it's set up in a way where they build trust with our customer as well too. And now we're seeing them move away from those passbooks over time as well. So that's one of like 400 hacks that we had to develop. It's not really kind of rocket science. It's just sort of like trying to understand what they want, how we can provide it to them, how we can build trust and convenience with them as well too. It's so interesting to understand how your team is using hacks and old tech solutions to meet customers where they are and to really broker trust over time. But I'm just conscious of time, Tarek, and I wanna take a moment to delve deeper into financial inclusion with you. Obviously, this is one of the most pressing issues of our time. But in your opinion, what are the levers of change that are really beginning to enable this shift? I wanted to find how, how, how Affinity is looking at the problem, and we're looking at it from a purely banking perspective. And from a banking perspective, the way we define a, a financial inclusion is three points. So the first is, is uh, accessibility. 
making sure you can give access to the customer of whatever products that they want. So the barriers to entry need to be low. The second is affordability, which often tends to be a second tier element that that uh, players look at. And then the third is literacy as well, too, which, you know, how do we encourage people to open accounts and to and to protect themselves as they go, they go through that period. Mm. So and then the very last comment I wanted to make in terms of the transition from sort of the old school way of looking at financial inclusion to the way that we're looking at it is that it's something that needs to be addressed. It cannot be ignored. You know, we have a lot of issues on our continent. You know, we, COVID hit us very hard. Um, we have a very sort of uh, lean taxpayer base, you know, one of the lowest in the world. And in mm-hmm. fact, I mean, if you look at uh, um, uh, taxation in Africa, it's about 16% of GDP. In Europe, it's about 33%. I think Ghana is one of the lowest. It's about 12%. And if you want to build a resilient economy, you really have to focus on a tax base that looks at SMEs, that looks at individuals that contribute to taxes. And you can't do that, you know, with a 78% informal, econ- uh, informal uh, uh, business setup. And you can't do that when less than 10% of individuals pay personal direct tax. The way out of that is to actually grow a middle class and to grow small businesses. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is to provide affordable financial services, especially long-term lending. And that's what we're trying to solve for because it's a subject that we cannot we cannot ignore anymore. We need to be able to depend on our own economy. We need to be able to depend on our own population as well to, to build a resilient economy and supporting these small businesses. I love how Affinity frames financial inclusion through the lenses of accessibility, affordability, and literacy. It's great to think about it that way. Tarek, one last question for you. If we look toward the future, say 10 years from now, can you paint us a picture of what that might look like and what you would want to see? Okay, I'm going to answer the question with two elements. One is an operational element from digital banking, and the other is in terms of what Ghana looks like and the content looks like as well, too. On the latter, it would be looking at 50% of government revenue being generated by SMEs, like you would find in the UK, you know, from not just small businesses, but also the, the, their, their employees. I feel like if we found that some of our businesses are formalizing, because we're providing them with longer-term uh, lending products, we would we would we would really have hit our goal and our target there, um, and that would be my ideal dream, you know, because we we are trying to build a resilient economy. From an operational point of view, what's really interesting is that the only difference that we have as a business versus like you know incumbent banks or or or, or pure play digital banks is that we have two front ends. We have a front end which is the app, you know, open an account and 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 save with us which is sort of very tried and tested and it's typical and we can, you know, leverage off of uh, existing expertise across the continent and the world on that. But, but uh, uh, about 90% of our customers actually come in by our agency platform. And over time, as we collect that data, what would be wonderful is using machine learning and AI to try and see how we can solve their problems and actually reduce mm-hmm. our, our operating costs and also reduce um, the, the pricing that we provide to these customers as well too. Because if you look at how these individuals operate, like us here on this call, you know, we're formally employed. We get a salary that hits our account every month. If we're lucky and we own a home, we pay a mortgage, uh, you know, off of that salary or we pay our rent, we pay our utility bills. And if we're really, really good, we'll have a bit of money left at the end of the month. And that's sort of our savings, our, our savings for the month. And that's ordinarily what a loan will be based off of, you know, that that mm-hmm. that repayment amount is based off of that residual amount. For the informal sector, that's not the case. You know, they're not formally employed. Their sales in their business, you know, in their microenterprise are the inflows that you see. And we see inflows every 2.4 days for these individuals. 
So trying to understand their behavior, you know, let's say we're one of the first to be able to do that since we do bank the unbanked and we and we're their primary bank account as well too. It would be really interesting to use, you know, uh, um, uh, AI and machine learning algorithms to try and see how we can improve our risk analytics, our credit underwriting as well too, even our our account opening processes and our transactional processes as well, and try and provide them with affordable, more affordable financial services. And that's the thing I'm most excited about. Maybe not in ten years time, but ten years time. Mm-hmm. Let's answer the. <laughs> let, let, let's focus on trying to like, you know build SMEs, but maybe in the next sort of three years, looking at how we can leverage off of you know deep mm-hmm. tech and those sort of, and big data that exists elsewhere, um, and try and focus it on our specific demographic because that would be sort of a new territory that we're entering in. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about how machine learning and algorithms can unlock scale and really reduce costs at speed. I must say, Tarek, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's simply flown by. But before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? It has. I mean, I just, uh, there was there a request and I don't know who's going to be listening to this, um, but there was a request. You know, what we're trying to build at Affinity is really something that's quite important, not just for um the Ghanaian population, but, you know, we are replicating our, our product across the continent as well, too. But we can't go at this alone. You know, banking is not a winner-takes-all model. We are a balance sheet-driven business. We actually broke even early last year with a small a handful of, of, of customers. Um, we rely on folks like you to help us solve problems because, you know, you've, you guys have done such a great amount of work uh, for us in the past of trying to solve issues that our customers face. Um, and if there's anyone that's listening to this that thinks that we could partner with, you know, whether it's it's really fascinating to see what's happening in Asia, especially in the Indian market when it comes to agency banking. If, if there was anyone on the fintech side, if there are any process partners or thought partners that we can partner with, please reach out because, you know, we can't go at this alone. This is a huge problem that we're trying to solve. We're a tiny bank in Ghana and um, we're looking to partner with institutions, with with fintechs, with with thought leaders out there in order to, to, to solve this problem, to, to exchange ideas and learnings as well, too, so that we can expand across the continent. So that's my one request. Well said, Tarek. I mean, financial inclusion will really require an ecosystem approach from a wide array of new partners. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of this conversation. It's been an insightful discussion into how a new bank will continue to evolve amid rapid technological change, harnessing the power of human relationships to build trust and unlock financial inclusion. And we hope we've left you with some interesting things to think about in the context of the products, services, or experiences you're designing. A big thank you to our guest, Tarek Magani, for joining Shinaz Engineering Conversation with production and editing by Tom Hogan. The Future Of series was brought to you by Craig Walker, a global design and research consultancy that works with the world's leading organizations. Follow Craig Walker on Twitter and Instagram at Craig Walker Studio. And if you have any thoughts about the show or would like to talk to us, reach out in an email to hello at craigwalker.com.au. Thanks for listening.